Crown of Thorns by Iris Bluefick Chapter 75 Where We Start June With Voluptuary Sweetness Aziraphale shaded his eyes against the spectacularly riotous sunset. The waves were silvery and placid as he strolled the damp tide-line barefoot. In pursuit of some object he'd seen roll in the surf, Raphael waded out knee-deep. Anything worthwhile? Aziraphale called, shivering as the freezing surf covered his toes. Intact shell, he said, holding it up. But inhabited. Crowley wouldn't evict a hermit crab. You best put it back, Aziraphale agreed, squinting as the light caught in Raphael's hair. Raphael lowered the creature back into the water and then perfunctorily brushed off his hands. This isn't an ordinary social call, darling. We've avoided the unpleasantness long enough. Aziraphale nodded heavily, bending to roll up his trousers. He waded out to where Raphael stood backlit in orange flame, knowing he'd never looked even half so imposing. So much for jokes about principalities going out of style. Humans and our sort, he sighed, tugging ineffectually at his waistcoat. It's on your mind. Ever since that close call with Rob? Constantly, Raphael admitted. It's one thing for a family of witches to know, but to risk exposure otherwise. Aziraphale closed his eyes, tightening his jaw. Mandy also knows. We trust her implicitly. I count her as a witch, Raphael said, waving him off. You can't tell me that girl's ordinary. Amanda Tomlin is anything but, replied Aziraphale. However, quite recently, there are more. Unashamedly discomfited, Raphael hugged himself against the chill. What have you done? Fate would have it that Rashid, Rani's cousin, is none other than our Rashid from the Ritz. You've had a way of tempting fate since getting tangled up in that Eden business. He knows... Aziraphale resisted the urge to protest Raphael's jab. We remained unchanged for decades. He noticed. What were we to do, faced with his delighted realization? Rani was present. Raphael scowled, his eyes cold and pale. You could have wiped their memories and walked out. No, insisted Aziraphale wearily. My days of doing that are done, and so are Crowley's. You would risk this fragile, perilous accord we've struck with Adam so many times over? What use is an accord without room for amendments? The arrangement, for instance, served... The arrangement was an outlier and should not be counted, retorted Raphael, all bitterness. You underestimate the extent to which I've perused Know Your Meme, Aziraphale warned. Raphael laughed viciously. <laughs> oh, did you mean the extent to which you've gone to get laid? Bold of you to insult my intelligence, Aziraphale said. Didn't Uriel have to teach you? No good will come of this, Raphael seized. I cannot, will not, let her come to harm. 
What can they do to us? Truly, Aziraphale demanded. Go on morning talk television and out us to the world? No one would believe it. They'd be laughed right off the air. Raphael stared at him, eyes wide with a kind of sorrow that he'd only ever seen in Crowley. They could shun us, he said, arms spread as if to let the light slip away. We'd lose them. Never, not in millennia, not in all of time and creation, had Aziraphale seen Raphael in tears. My dear boy, he said, wading until their toes touched. I understand far better than you think. <laughs> then why do you risk it? Raphael gasped, latching onto him. Over and over again, why? Because once, not so long ago, Crowley asked me to try, Aziraphale said. And so I do. In a fortunate turn of events, Nicola agreed to drive Pippa two hours up to Folkestone on the condition she'd take the train halfway back in a few days' time. That was fair. It helped that Madame Tracy and Sergeant Shadwell had agreed to put her up for two nights. Pippa and Marjorie, a profound gesture of trust when the trade alias fell away, had a lot of catching up to do. They spent the first evening playing cards and disabusing Shadwell of the notion that Pippa was a shameless cheat. She had been in sore need of a laugh. They spent the second evening on the patio with glasses of chilled sangria staring out at the Strait of Dover. Tell me how everything's been with Anathema's darling girls, Marjorie said, fanning herself. Sophia's not due for another two months, but she looks fit to burst, said Pippa. The twins are fine. Janet's still with that lovely graphics designer, Danny. Natalie's ever so keen on her career. Petula came up from Barbados for a week this spring. I'm always afraid for her there, so very anxious, you know. But my brother's getting on in years, and he's speaking to her again. I know you said it pained her to think she'd lost her dad. I'm glad he's come round, finally. Such a dreadful thing, isn't it? People who turn against their own flesh. Son or daughter, what does it matter? Their children are alive. Marjorie said wistfully, looking out to sea. But Tulia was a daughter to you, Pippa replied, patting her hand. And a fine mother you made. Marjorie made a dismissive noise, shrugging. <laughs> There's no posh living, drawing aside the veil. Maybe not, but you kept her fed and clothed and loved till she got that Cambridge scholarship. You have me too big for my riches, love, talking like that, Marjorie sighed. How's Rob? <laughs> Full of the devil, said Pippa with a rueful laugh. He started up a YouTube channel. No wonder with the company you keep, Marjorie chuckled. It's the devil you know. Oh, my boys up the road had nothing to do with it, Pippa reassured her. They were rattled, too. It's no good, a child unsupervised online. Crowley's ever so protective. Marjorie had gone quiet, and she was searching Pippa's eyes with a sort of hazy disbelief. 
gracious, she started, and then shook her head. Do you mean to say you don't... Oh. There it was again, that frisson of warning down Pippa's spine. She sat forward, reaching. Funny you should mention it, that streak of mischief in them. If that's what you meant. Shaking her head again, Marjorie looked away. Her dark brown skin tone shone in the falling sun. You haven't seen them as I have, she said, low and distant. And you won't until it's time. Pippa shivered as a breeze finally swept through. The air was cooling faster than she liked. They came from London for a fresh start. Now they're like sons to me. That's all I know. What you know is for the best, Marjorie replied. Love them for who they've become. Oh, cruelly, Pippa thought. What are you still, dear heart, that you must hide? Taking off her oversized sunglasses, Uriel flipped onto her stomach and groaned into the towel. You'll burn if you're not vigilant, Crowley warned, tossing the sunscreen at her. With this you can be as lazy as you like. I couldn't do without napping in the sun. Of course you can't, Uriel said teasingly, scratching the tip of her nose. You're a snake. Sure I can be, Crowley said flippantly. But I'm not right now. I haven't shifted in a while. Uriel turned her head to squint at him. He lay beside her with his chin propped on his arms, his eyes covered by those perpetual, inscrutable shades. She pulled them off his face. Why can't you change your eyes? She murmured. I never understood, but then I realized. Crowley shrugged, but his demeanour was no longer indifferent. Some curses are like that. I've seen you face strangers without your glasses. Never for long. Uriel said, reaching to clasp his hand. Sometimes they react, and I assume you want them to, but sometimes they don't. <sighs> Glamours are so much work to maintain, Crowley sighed, so I don't use them that often. Cheers to that, Uriel added fervently. Thank fuck the wings come with one by default. Manifested and spread in an instant, Crowley's wings shaded them from the relentless sun. Benefits of a private beach, he pointed out. Who cares what humans see from a distance? Uriel rolled onto her back, staring up at his pale feathers, raising one hand to brush his pinion. It makes no sense, she said, that your eyes changed forever, but you've got to keep these. Crowley let his head drop to his hands, peering at her. In the shade, his gaze was luminous. What makes you think they weren't always this colour? He asked, painfully earnest as ever. Guess I'd be a snake with slitted blue eyes, Uriel said, smiling. Wouldn't that be cool? If it had been you instead of me, Crowley said, we might not have made a mess of things. Nah, Uriel said, patting him. If it had been me up that tree, the mess would have been worse. You would have liked Crowley trailed off. I think of Eve more and more these days. 
Little wonder, dude. You're surrounded by bright young things who remind you of her. Of them. I swear, will a lot of you go on misgendering them for all eternity? Right. Sorry. Uriel muttered. Given who I shacked up with, you'd think I knew better. No. Crowley mumbled, closing his eyes, winching in his wings. Rafe's one of a kind. He's been she before, but then it's he again before you know it. Also, I don't think he cares. I've never considered it, Crowley said quietly. Whether I care, I mean. I'm what I am. Overcome with affection, Uriel rolled over and hugged him until he relaxed in her embrace. You're exactly what you are, she said, and who you are. That's why I love you. Crowley sighed, spat sand, and buried his face against her shoulder. Don't make me say it. You don't have to say anything, Uriel reassured him, stroking his hair until he dozed off. Balanced precariously on her belly, Sophia's laptop flickered for the third time in as many minutes. She cursed, nervously hitting save. What's the matter? Anathema asked from across the room, where she sat in Newt's favourite armchair. She was rummaging through an ancient, tape-reinforced shoebox, the contents of which clinked. This machine will croak any second, Sophia muttered, and I'm going to lose the story. We'll ask your father and Adam to have a look at it when they come back. How's that? If Dad touches it when he's tired, it might just explode, Sophia grumbled. What's that? Anathema rattled the box with a look of long-suffering responsibility. Agnes's nails. Oh, right. Sophia yawned, trying to shift position on the sofa. What's the legend? Her ghost drops one every time she visits a family member and we've saved them up? It's not just family members, if my suspicions are correct, Anathema said. Marjorie gave me one of the ones in here. She found it on her floor one morning this past winter. So what? Sophia scoffed, giving up on her endeavour. Old roofing nails are commonplace. Not one that turns up after your former witchfinder husband insists he was visited by Agnes. Shadwell dreams about Agnes? <laughs> Creepy. Sophia said, giving up on writing for the time being. She was his organization's great failure, Anathema reminded her. That would haunt anyone. What are you going to do with those tetanus hazards, then? Sophia asked, rubbing her belly. He's been restless today, hasn't he? Anathema asked, regarding one of the nails thoughtfully. Yeah, but that doesn't answer my question, said Sophia, feeling tetchy. Why so morbid? I was thinking, Anathema said, that it's high time I did something with these. I'm no carpenter, but I was capable enough with a hammer to keep Jasmine Cottage standing. Sophia was suddenly overcome with curiosity. Why hadn't Agnes dropped a nail the morning she'd seen her in the mirror? Didn't auditory hallucinations count? Had she only seen herself? Is the nail for Marjorie the only one you've confirmed in the hands of a non-family member? Yes, Anathema said, sounding disappointed. But if she haunts Shadwell, she might haunt others. 
She paused. Others were involved in Lower Tatfield, at least. Anyway, she dropped one for me when you were young. My regrets that I didn't keep it separate. Agnes, Sophia thought, sinking against her pillows. Where else have you been? Mandy finished transcribing the folio in front of her, setting Aziraphale's bookbinding bone aside. She pulled off her white cotton gloves. I don't think this'll be as much use as what's in those modern pregnancy books, she said. We mustn't leave pages unturned on account of age, Aziraphale said, still in his seat, methodically scanning the manuscript propped up in front of him. Wisdom has always existed, the trick sifting it from the dross. Wandering over to stand at his shoulder, Mandy squinted at the text. That's about midwifery. One can't be too prepared, Ziraphale said vaguely, turning the leaf with his gloved hand. Mate, are you serious? Mandy asked, swallowing mirth. In case you have to. Labour knows neither rhyme nor reason, Aziraphale said, irked. Why, you'd do well to prepare since you now live under the same roof. Mandy reached around him and closed the manuscript, murmuring apologies for her bare fingers. You're way too stressed about this, she said. Worse than me and Adam, believe it or not. Aziraphale removed his gloves and tossed them on the desk. What distraction do you suggest? You've got six daughters and three grandchicks already, Mandy said. Or did you forget? True, Miserafel sighed. I've been remiss in spending time with them. To the shed, then. After making a pit stop in the kitchen for the mealworm container, Mandy dragged Miserafel out into the garden. Crowley was stalking the hedgerow with his pruning shears, giving the shrubs a good telling off. We're going to spend some time with the ducks, Mandy said, waving at him as they passed. I've left the door open, Crowley said, zeroing in on a rogue branch. They might be out. Mandy had to dash to catch up with the Aziraphale, who had already located the entire gaggle. They were foraging on the grassy rise where the crabgrass grew. She counted all nine. Oi, ladies, gents, Mandy called, rattling the worms. Want something wriggling? Come here. Aziraphale froze where he stood, watching as the ducks made a flapping racket and ran to her. Like she'd always done, Mandy flopped down on the grass. She scattered some worms in front of her, unsurprised that audacious, aggressive Tamar had beaten out the rest. The brazen fowl nibbled Mandy's bare ankle, complaining stridently about having to share. She wouldn't dare draw blood when it's you, Aziraphale said, approaching only once Mandy was surrounded. Which is no small miracle. Mandy hugged the three ducklings that had crowded in her lap for hand feeding. Not so small any more. Judith wasn't concerned, plucking worms from the grass as greedily as her sister's. Tamar would never hurt Sofer Crowley either, Mandy pointed out. Or you come to it. Perhaps heartened, Aziraphale dropped to a crouch next to the container, reaching into it. 
The sensation must have startled him, given his perturbed gasp. He scattered another two handfuls of sawdust and worms, his look of distaste utterly comical. He didn't think this would be in the job description, Crowley remarked, finally joining them. Oh, I still don't, said Aziraphale, tipping backward with a huff. Defeated, he sat in the grass. Jemima, Ruth, Lilith, Tamar, Judith and Eve flapped over to investigate. While most of them ate, Tamar and Jemima plucked at Aziraphale's cuffs. Aziraphale, for heaven's sake, Crowley chided, dropping the shears. They've missed you. I suppose, said Aziraphale, put upon, but he scooped them both into his lap. There you are. Mandy left him to it, turning her attention back to the three noisy teenagers perched on her legs. Your granddad needs practice, she said, grinning as Natasha's sleek head butted her chin. Undressed, Crowley lay on his back in the freshly remade bed. He listened to the shower, appreciative of the steam that wafted through the door. I doubt you need to do that, he said, raising his voice. Mealworms don't carry the plague. Some of us prefer to clean up the old-fashioned way, Aziraphale shouted. You could join me! Crowley sat up and swung his legs over the side of the mattress, considering the invitation. He enjoyed showers, but he'd wished himself clean post-gardening and opted for a nap instead. I swam with Uriel a couple days ago, he said contrarily. I don't feel like getting wet. The shower only ran for another half minute. Aziraphale stepped into the bedroom, not even bothering with a towel as he wished himself from dripping to appealingly damp. Taking a moment to look at Aziraphale, really look at him, was something Crowley hadn't done of late. What was it he'd read about not taking one's partner for granted? Had he become that much of a cliché? Usually confident to a breathtaking fault, Aziraphale stopped hesitantly in front of Crowley. Have you forgotten what I look like? he asked trying for levity as he stroked Crowley's cheek. Decided it's time to re-evaluate, as it were? Dazedly, Crowley tipped his chin up as Aziraphale ran his thumb along Crowley's lower lip. I find you so attractive, it's... He struggled for words, wanting nothing so much as to pull Aziraphale to him and abandon thought. It's embarrassing. You're everything I was meant to be. Would you sell yourself so short? Aziraphale said, bending to catch Crowley's mouth in a crushing kiss. How is it you're so impossibly beautiful? He went on, pushing at Crowley's shoulders until he scooted back and sprawled. And it took me until... When was it? Uh, the Inquisition? To notice? Crowley thought about the state he'd been in and decided that it was rather more of an eyeful than Aziraphale had got since Eden. In the beginning, surely they hadn't yet learned desire. You could have acted, Angel, he gasped, arching as Aziraphale mouthed at his neck. 
easily. That would have been taking advantage, Aziraphale said between kisses. And you know it. Would have welcomed the distraction, Crowley said, savouring the heat of him. I've loved. We are forever lying to ourselves about the when, Aziraphale soothed, breaking Crowley's hair back so that he'd turn his head. I've loved you from the moment you questioned everything I'd ever held dear, he said, his voice rough with emotion. You asked me to give the garden a chance. I did it, Crowley. I didn't know why at the time, but now... Aziraphale, can we? Crowley said, jolting at his increasingly fervent pitch. Uh, talk later? With a curt laugh, Aziraphale nodded. He tugged at Crowley's hips, angling them such that Crowley shivered and hitched a leg around him. Never know what I want with you, Crowley hissed between his teeth, because I want it all. I had ideas in the direction of sucking you off, but I'm open to suggestions, Aziraphale said. Crowley was the one to laugh this time, his voice catching as Aziraphale ground down harder. He ran his fingers through Aziraphale's hair, at a loss. Anything, everything, was bliss. We get better at this, like, I can hold off until you make up your blessed mind. It's nice. Aziraphale slowed his movements, so subtle they were nearly still. This is all I could ask. Dragging his hands back to Aziraphale's hairline, Crowley slid them down to frame his face. Mm. He managed, dry-mouthed and drunk on sensation. I'm gonna come if you keep that up. Taking decisive action, which was just as maddeningly attractive as his pride, Aziraphale shifted off Crowley. He spread Crowley's legs wide and, without pause, put his mouth on him. Crowley's vision blanked to the static glow behind his eyelids. He shook, letting his arms fall. Aziraphale was massaging his wrists and resting his cheek against Crowley's belly as the tremors died down, as patient as ever. He kissed just beneath Crowley's navel, licking a spot he'd missed. Crowley heaved for air, flinging one limp, exhausted arm across his forehead. That's not fair. Sensing Crowley's vague bout of insecurity, Aziraphale crawled up and lay down beside him. Whatever hell may have intended, he said, nuzzling Crowley's cheek. That's not what you're for. I'm only good at this because I know you. Stroking Aziraphale's flushed cheek in kind, besotted, Crowley rolled over and kissed him quiet. Good job incompetence is your number one kink, isn't it? He said, taking Aziraphale in hand. Aziraphale groaned and squeezed his eyes shut, pushing into Crowley's grasp. The nerve! Yep, Crowley said watching with the satisfied smirk as he came without further warning. With what faint presence of mind he had, Aziraphale pulled Crowley close and sighed. How terrible for me, 
he said fondly, catching his breath, cleaning them up with a thought. To love somebody I'm not even supposed to like. Crowley rested his forehead against Aziraphale's, finding none of his habitual sarcasm adequate. Do you realise, he said, that we never tire of things humans get bored with on the regular? Aziraphale shrugged, lazily basking. I've always assumed it's that we don't tire of each other. Pressing several fingers to Aziraphale's lips, Crowley dropped a kiss at the corner of his mouth. That's a relief, he said quietly. Because you know one day each other's all have left. Aziraphale took hold of Crowley's fingers, curling them, tilting Crowley's hand to kiss the back. As it once was he said with no trace of regret. It shall be again. Crowley, you are enough. I didn't used to think so, said Crowley drowsily. But if an angel says it, then it must be true. Aziraphale snorted and gave Crowley's backside a sharp tap. Now, look, there's no call for that. Smack dab in the afterglow and you'll still find a way to spoil my fun, Crowley groused. Yawning, Aziraphale shoved between Crowley's shoulder blades until he lay his head down. Oh, wasn't it you who sold me on the virtues of sleep? You're the one ruining the moment. Crowley inhaled against Aziraphale's neck, finding words easy. That's daft. I love you. On waking later, Crowley noted by the clock on the nightstand that two hours had passed. Aziraphale dozed with his perpetually unkempt wings drooping over the side of the bed. Stretching, Crowley got up without going to the trouble of transformation. If Aziraphale stirred, he'd fall back and whisper reassurance. He ought to have done the whole sneaking-out-of-bed thing like that from the start. In the kitchen, silent save for Crowley's bare feet on the tile, Rando was waiting on the sink. I can always count on you for an I told you so, Crowley said with reproach, filling the kettle. Crown of Thorns will continue in Chapter 75, Part 4.